The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Sitting in tonight is Paris Mansouri. How schools are coping with sexting, whether or not Teen Vogue is overstepping and talking to transitioning teens. Some heavy topics. And as I am not an expert on any of these topics and Dr. Lori is away, we have the experts in studio to discuss these topics, to enlighten us and to basically start a dialogue that I don't think is being had enough. My name is Paris Mansouri. I am filling in for Dr. Lori. She's on vacation in China. She's going to be back on Monday. You'll be able to hear her then. Until then, in keeping her seat warm, we've been basically having your regular hosts or your regular guests on and regular panels on. This is no different tonight. Uh, we have the regulars on Teen Talk, Tanya Demel, Sexual Health Educator, Vice President of the Sexual Health Network of Quebec. Where can people connect with you on? For questions or to contact me, they can contact info at shnq.ca. So shnq.ca. Wonderful. Thank you for being here. And Sean, Sean Jarvis, how are you? I am well. One more week before the Christmas break. <laughs> Christmas break because Sean is a high school science teacher in Montreal who's been involved in teaching sexual education since the beginning of his career. And I'm sure you've seen it change and take many different faces. I think the the topics what concern the teens the most hasn't changed. I think what has changed is the way teachers are approaching those topics and the way we talk about them. Okay, which brings us to our first topic. I should mention that the lines are open. If you do have a question um, for either Tanya or Sean, you can text us at 514-800 or join us by phone at 514-790-0800. I always like to reiterate that this is a judgment-free open space. We understand there are parents of teenagers with different mentalities, different cultures, different uh, values, and they want to discuss these issues differently with their teens. And just because you hear us talking about these matters openly doesn't mean that you are not welcome with your questions if you have um, maybe a more conservative approach or concerns actually about the things that we are talking about. So you are all welcome. So first up, I wanted to talk about Quebec private schools and how they're taking on sexting. There was an article that I saw recently. It says school officials are going to be trained in how to prevent and react to cases of sexual message and image sharing. The pilot project is being hosted by Quebec's Private School Federation in collaboration uh, with the DPCP, which is the police and the Canadian Centre of Child Protection. Quebec private schools have developed a plan aimed not just at preventing teen sexting, but also at effectively responding to problems when they do occur. And this has uh, financial backing from Quebec's Minister of Education. The province's Federation of Private Schools are going to be working to ensure schools are better equipped. Um, Sean, you are in the public school sector. Correct. How is it different for you guys? Well, it is a serious issue, obviously, and there have been discussions about it. Um, is there an actual set policy in place? I'm sure there is somewhere. Uh, but what we do is we educate the kids with respect to media liter literacy, digital citizenship, how to be responsible when you're online, 
And uh, in my personal experience, an issue has come up. I dealt with something three years ago and um, where a student showed me a text with some pictures and I brought that kid to, I brought that student to the administration and then it was dealt with however they dealt it, dealt with it according to the policies that were in place. And for you, Tanya? Um, you know, when I was in, in school, I think the way it was approached was kind of like, you know, don't use your phones at school and that's not a reality anymore like now kids have their phones on them at all times and what ends up happening is it becomes part of their everyday life people are always on their phone they're always on social media and if you don't have those tools or we're not talking about kids about how to use those tools in a way that you know kind of protects their identity and and you know prevents negative outcomes from happening then they are you know impulsive they're teenagers they think it's trendy or it's cool or it's going to make them popular and then they share these things and that's you know potentially leading to some negative outcomes. So we want to try to prevent that from happening as much as possible. You're listening to Teen Talk on Passion. We have Tanya and Sean who are in studio with us discussing uh, sexting and how a Quebec government initiative is going to be helping Quebec private schools with it. Uh, in this article, it was actually a CBC article that I saw. It, it uh, talks about a Canadian study published earlier this year that it found that at least one in four teens are receiving sexually explicit texts and emails and at least one in seven are sending sext. Psychologist François Nadeau, who completed his doctoral dissertation at Laval University on sexting between adolescents in 2017 found sexting is not uncommon among teens. And basically from a sample of 345 teens with an average of 15 in the Quebec City region, he found 31% had sent at least one sex-related text message in 2017. Of those, 13.4% had sent at least one sex-related photo or video. And in a sample, he found girls were 2.5 times more likely than boys to report sending a sex message. This doesn't surprise me. I mean, the reality is, is that teenagers will do stupid, silly things all the time without regard or understanding of the consequences. So the best thing that we can do as educators is teach them how to be responsible with respect to social media and texting and understand the seriousness of their actions. Do they really understand? Can they not? Do they really understand? Because I'm sure they real, but do they really care? Because teenagers, oftentimes you're forgiven. There's ways around it. Your parents can bail you out. But when it comes to sexting, there are some serious ramifications. Absolutely. And I think they can. Actually, it's been in my experience that they can. It's how you deliver it. If it's delivered from a position of absolute authority saying, if you do this, this is going to happen, da, 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 da. In my experience, that doesn't necessarily work. In other words, you, you shame them or you fear them. That doesn't work. You have to open up a bit of a dialogue and sort of try to put yourself in their shoes. What does that sound like? What does that conversation sound like? Well, it could, oh God, put me on the spot here. Okay. <laughs> no, but I mean, when we're saying that it doesn't shame them, oftentimes when your parents are people in positions of authority, maybe you don't mean to shame. You mean to be serious and you mean to be matter of fact. And like you said, it kind of puts them in a situation where they feel like they're the child being spoken down to. There's a way to do it. And, you know, teachers learn as you gain more experience, how to do that. It's also being aware of not only what you're saying, saying, but how you're saying it as well. There it's are ways to do it. It's absolutely, it's tone, it's eye contact. Um, 
it's treating them as not not viewing them as little teenage kids, but as human beings. Mm-hmm. Tanya, what's been your experience? Well, I mean, like I think the important thing to remember is this is how people communicate now. When was the last time you picked up a phone and started? you know, having a long conversation with someone, you might do that with like your mom or your family members, but that's not the way we interact with our friends. That's not the way we interact with our coworkers. We're texting all the time. And or you text and ask if it's okay to call. No, one- <laughs> <laughs> I don't even do that. I mean, I, I prefer never to call at all, but <laughs> if you're in a position where that's how you communicate, then for sure you're a teenager, you have a sexuality, you're going to be sexual and that's the way it's going to come out. And it's just giving them tools like with any other type of sex ed, It's giving them tools to use that responsibly. So, you know, whether that's like, we know you're going to do this, here's how to do it in a more safe or um, more kind of private way and how to discuss consent and technology and things like that. It's those tools that they need the same way they would have needed, like when MSN was a thing back when people were chatting on that or before that when people talked on the phone you're listening to passion we're on every weeknight from 10 to 11 p.m talking love sex and relationships tonight is teen talk we talk about subjects relating to teen sexuality to send us your questions 514-800 by text or it's 514-790-0800 to join us by phone your relationships on the line. Connect with Dr. Lori now. 514-790-0800. Passion. News Talk Radio. CJAD 800. Sitting in tonight is Paris Mansouri. Welcome back to the program. Tonight is Teen Talk. We talk about teens, sexuality, sex education. In studio with us, we have Sean Jarvis. He is a high school science teacher in Montreal. He's been involved in teaching sexual education since the beginning of his career. We also have Tanya Damour. She is a sexual health educator. Why am I pronouncing it in the French way? I'm French. Oh, is that the correct? (laughs) If if somebody asked you your name. Yeah. You're saying it right. I am. Yeah. Yay. We have been talking, well, we were talking about sexting in uh, schools and a Quebec program that's going to help uh, and support teachers in basically being able to address the issue and, and um, speak to the teens, speak to the authorities, know how to approach the subject. But here's something else. I wanted to talk about a Teen Vogue article where parents feel like they should not be talking to their teens and should not be saying these things to their teens. So it's kind of like the outsiders coming in and invading what parents feel like is their personal space when it comes to their child. Teen Vogue published a guide last year. It's called, um, it's basically their guide to anal sex. And the purpose of this article was not to teach anal sex, but to educate about anal sex because it is, um, from my understanding, a, a sexual practice that is becoming more common amongst teenagers and that there is a lot of information that is lacking when it comes to this. You get, you know, the the regular intercourse conversation, you know, vaginal sex conversation, but the anal sex conversation isn't there. The people at Teen Vogue felt like there was a conversation to be had and they posted this article online. If you go to Teen Vogue and you um, search anal sex, what you need to know, you're going to see it. There's, I showed it both to Tanya and Sean. It looks like uh, there it's, it's educational. You saw the imagery. 
parents are up in arms. The parents who saw this uh, are extremely upset, and they're saying that Teen Vogue is out of line. They should not. They should be focusing on teen issues and just keeping it clean. And they should not be teaching children how to have sex. And I wanted to know. What do you guys think? Because Teen Vogue originally published this last year and then they republished it this May. So it kind of like reignited the conversation. And I just noticed on threads that it's coming up again and people are extremely angry about it and advocating not only the takedown of the article last year, but the republication of it this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just curious, first of all, why, Tanya, I mean, you are in, in this industry and especially when it comes to the education, why are parents so angry? You know, I I think it's whenever you talk about sex ed in general, the parents will be angry about, you know, is it the school's place to teach them? Is it this magazine's place to teach them? Is it, you know, are they looking at porn? Where are they getting their information from? And a lot of times the answer is they're not getting it at home. If those parents are that upset, a lot of the time they're the ones who aren't giving their kids that sex education. So, you know, I've read the article. I saw the pictures you showed me from it. It's, It's education based. I think... The idea like, oh, if you t- if you show this to my teenager, they will be having sex is what makes parents upset potentially at this, like the type of title that they put as well as like kind of sensationalist and clickbaity too. But the idea behind it is that they're going to turn to these resources if they're not getting that information. And if that's something they're reading on a regular basis, then that's where they're going to turn to. Unfortunately, a lot of times that in my opinion, is a lot better than them turning to porn. And that that will end up happening if they have questions is they'll just Google it, porn will pop up, and then that's what they'll see. And a lot of times, unfortunately, especially with anal sex, if you're looking at porn, you're not seeing, you know, how do I do this safely? If I'm a teenager, what prep goes into this? Like, how do I not hurt myself? How do I talk about consent around this? Because that's not discussed in porn. And at least this magazine is, you know, kind of referencing that. So I think that it's not as scary as it sounds. I can understand why some parents are you know, having an, an adverse reaction to it. But at the end of the day, like, if we want to talk about teen issues, sexuality is a teen issue. And a lot of teenagers are having anal sex. So it is a teen issue. And it does have to be addressed. For anyone wondering, the article is on teenvogue.com. I'm going to read the intro, uh, just to give you a perspective of, of how this article is set up. Um, in or, before it answers like the questions in a Q&A format, it says, when it comes to your body, it's important that you have the facts. Being in the dark is not doing your sexual health or self-understanding any favors. With that sentiment in mind, we're here to lay it all out for you when it comes to anal sex. It's important that we talk about all kinds of sex because not everyone is is having or wants to have penis in the vagina sex. If you do have penis in the vagina sex and are curious about something else or finding that type of sex is not for you and you just like to explore other options, it's helpful to know the facts. Even if you do learn more and decide anal sex is not a thing you'd like to try, it doesn't hurt to have the information. That's the setup for for the article. And then it goes into what is anal sex? Why do people have it? Uh, The appeal of anal sex when you have a prostate. uh, The appeal of anal sex when you do not have a prostate. uh, How how to ask your partner if they're ready to try anal sex. How to have it. um, Lubrication. um, You know, yes, there might be secretions. All of these topics are are coming up, and parents are 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 not happy. Um, Somebody said um, if they had a basically that Teen Vogue is a wholesome brand and it's supposed to be fashion focused, and why are you? including an article like that when my child thinks that they're coming on to read about fashion. Sean, what's your take on this? 
Well, whether we want, whether we like it or not, sexuality is a part of teenage life. Um, and it's, I, I don't mean that in a good way. I don't mean that in a bad way. That's just reality. In 15 years of doing this, that hasn't changed. When you talk about sexuality, it's not just penile vaginal sex you have to talk about. It's other forms of sexuality as well, because not every couple has penile vaginal, penile vaginal sex. And it does come up. I have gotten questions about this type of thing before. And first of all, as a teacher, you have to be comfortable talking about it and there is a big difference, and we mentioned this off-air, between sex education and sex instruction. That is not sex instruction. That is sex education. The same way that uh, we talk about drug education or alcohol education in the classroom. Just because we talk about drugs does not mean that the kids are going to go out and all of a sudden try a whole bunch of variety of different drugs. The same with alcohol. I don't see why sexuality education has to be any different. You know, it's one of the, the things that caught my eye especially in researching this article one of uh, uh, one of the critics of this article says they have the perception of being a wholesome brand on fashion trends it should not be a source on sexual experimentation the new normal is anal sex and pornography we're not going to sit by idly while teenvogue.com continues to encourage its young readers to engage in the quote highest risk sexual behavior for HIV transmission, according to the Center for Disease Control. Hands off our kids. Couple. I see both your hands going up. Tanya and Sean, or go ahead, Tanya. Um, the thing with that is, if it, it it is a high risk, you know, sexual practice, if not done safely, and that's why you need to give people information on how to engage in these things safely. You're not going to stop people from engaging with it. So, like, not talking about it doesn't mean they're not doing it, but giving them resources will protect them. Two things. Um, they, uh, I think one of the criticisms was they're saying that teen, teen Vogue should devote itself exclusively to fashion. Well, we know in Western culture that there is a significant link between fashion and and sexuality, sensuality. I mean... I can't help but wonder if these same individuals who are criticizing uh, this article are aware of the types of outfits that their kids wear. Now, I'm not suggesting that if one dresses a certain way, that's an invitation for harassment or anything like that. On the contrary, all I'm saying is that we have, we live in a culture that is obsessed with linking how you appear to, oh, you must be sexually active or you must be promiscuous or you must be a slut a stud or what have you so it's an interesting conversation as well because a lot of times in more conservative settings where women are or young girls are encouraged to remain virgins then they want to remain a quote-unquote virgin so then they explore anal sex and they don't have the education on anal sex either and these parents who are saying that you're teaching it you're also telling your kid not to maybe have vaginal sex and vaginal intercourse well uh during the bush administration in the states their sexuality education program was abstinence only based now abstinence only educate abstinence Education should be part of any healthy sexual education program. But the problem with that, the problem with the Bush administration is that that abstinence only education was the sole focus. And what happened? 
STIs amongst teenagers skyrocketed because they were teenagers doing all sorts of different sexual acts, not having penile vaginal sex, and still considered themselves virgins. So they would have anal sex, oral sex. But you know what? I'm still a virgin, so that's fine. And because the education didn't address how to do those things safely, mm-hmm. without there was no condoms being used necessarily. There was, you know, that's how infections spread. So you want to prevent that as much as possible. And seeing all those numbers and all those facts, it's it's so interesting that abstinence-only education is something that it just keeps coming back in the loop or even um, reverting back to our old educational system, you know, from the late 90s is still a conversation when we have the numbers and, and we know um, what has transpired after those years. You're listening to Passion. We're on every weeknight from 10 to 11 p.m. talking love, sex and relationships. My name is Paris Mansuri. I've been sitting in for Dr. Laurie while she's been away on vacation in case you don't recognize my voice, no, I'm not Dr. <laughs> Lori. And she is away. So while she's away, we bring in the expert tonight is Teen Talk. Uh, and we have Sean Jarvis in studio. We have Tanya Damour in studio. They're going to stay with us to answer your questions. If you have any, you can text it in 514-800. But right now it's 1030 and it's time to get the latest from the CJAD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. It's sex out loud, and you're welcome to listen in. Passion on CJAD 800. Sitting in tonight is Paris Mansouri. Welcome back to the program. It is Teen Talk tonight. We have Sean Jarvis in studio with us. He's a high school science teacher in Montreal. He's been involved in teaching sexual education since the beginning of his career, about 15 years. Mm -hmm. It's a long time. Yep. And then we have Tanya Damour. She's a sexual health educator, vice president of the Sexual Health Network of Quebec. Where can people connect with you on again? Uh, yeah, they can go to our website, um, shnq.ca. And if they have questions, they can email them to info at shnq.ca. Wonderful. Now, I wanted to, during the commercial break, we started talking, Sean brought this up about the double standard some girls face in, teen girls face in high school, uh, where, um, uniforms are concerned. But before we talk about that, we did get a text message saying, uh, regarding a topic we were discussing earlier in the program, we were talking about sexting in high school. And we got a text from someone saying, there's nothing wrong with teenagers sexting in school, just not with adults. And we wanted to clarify that because sexting could be illegal depending on the messages that you're sharing. So Sean or Tanya, which one of you want to take it? <laughs> um, so I think there's a, a disconnect. Some people consider sexting to just be text messages, like written, like words, like sexual comments and like talking in that way, whether that's consensual or not, that's not so much of a problem. But then when you start sharing images, especially of minors, then that can lead to like complications because that can be seen as uh, possessing child pornography. So there's laws around that and about technology and what you have on your phone and what you're allowed to have and what you're not allowed to have. It's different when people are both over 18, but when you're dealing with minors, it's very, very risky to send those sex. And that's what you want to talk to students about not sending. 
Sean, anything you want to add to that? Nope, that's ex- that hits the nail <laughs> right on the head. Uh, we are going to get to talking about uh, the double standards in uniforms. We just had another text coming in talking about another topic we were just discussing, which is Teen Vogue publishing an article explaining um, in technical and scientific terms what anal sex is. The purpose of the article was educational. And we have someone texting in saying, how about we have an educational forum for teens with questions as opposed to publishing too much unnecessary information out there, which often ends up giving kids ideas that perhaps may not have occurred to them in the first place. Furthermore, by publishing such articles in teen magazines, we're not only giving them the erroneous impression that what their reading is the norm, thereby normalizing alternative sexuality, but we're equally inadvertently simultaneously giving them permission to engage in such practices as authority figures, whether we're willing to admit to the fact or not. Why don't we simply just let them be kids and develop naturally, rather than bombarding them with all kinds of adult information they don't have to know? Uh, a couple things with that. Um, the the texter said uh, alternative sexuality. Well, from their perspective, it's alternative. For some other couples who may not be heterosexual, it's not alternative. So alternative is strictly a point of view. And so that person has to keep that in mind as well. Uh, secondly, kids are going to get their information uh, in one way or another, whether that's through a magazine, whether it's through the internet, whether that's talking to their teacher or what have you. And the whole idea of letting kids be kids, I get that. I mean, I, I can understand that. Okay. But if you're going to say, let kids be kids, what exactly are we letting them be? What exactly are we allowing them to do? What does that mean? Kids being kids. In the meantime, we have somebody else texting saying, I totally agree with the previous texter. Um, and by the way, whoever texted that, thank you for the thorough, well-written and thought-out uh, statement. Tanya, do you, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it. I think Sean made a really good point. Like, it's not alternative to everyone. That's, you know, if you're looking at it as someone who's heterosexual who wants to engage in certain types of sex, then it might not occur to you if you're not having anal sex that that is a reality for a lot of people and it's not that uncommon so you know like saying that saying things like we're going to give them ideas of things they haven't thought about well a lot of kids are thinking about those things so it's not that we're putting that idea out there it's that we know it's out there and what we want to do is make sure that there's also accurate safety information out there to go along with that so when they're searching it they're not finding just porn or you know someone writing a blog about it. Like we want it to be validated. We want it to be based in science. We want it to be, you know, approved by like clinical professionals. Like we don't want it to just be anyone's opinion on the matter. The other thing is how the message is delivered to the child and or the teenager or or whoever is seeking the information or randomly falling on it. The the way that they would read a Teen Vogue article is very different that they would read an article handed to them by a nurse. Mm-hmm. And a pamphlet or an, an, a website that looks like it was built in 1992. The, the information is received differently when it's written by people who speak the lingo, understand the language, understand the terminology and the slang are within that culture. So if you are a parent, I, I mean, I'm I'm not a parent of a child, and I definitely understand the concern of of that texter saying that we are putting ideas in the head. But I'm thinking, 
I would if ideas are going to get in their head or be in their head from pornography, from images, like you were saying, Sean. I mean, Teen Vogue is a fashion magazine, and there are sexual imagery that's created by clothing. And some of the outfits that teenagers are wearing these days um, are, you know, very daunting and daring. And they are thinking about it, or they have heard about it. And is it not better? I would love it if somebody would would text in with an answer to that. Is it not better that Teen Vogue, who has the attention of an audience in a respectful matter, uh, in a respectful matter, share this information? Five one four eight hundred. I would love your take on it. Um, have you guys, in either of your experiences, have somebody come to you and say, "You know what? I read this and I want to know more about it," or "I didn't understand it"? Does that happen? That it actually begins a conversation for them where they're actually being responsible about it? I've had it happen several times, not necessarily uh, uh, related to human uh, human sexuality and gender. Um, usually, the case is when we, at the beginning of every unit on human sexuality, we pass around a bucket, and the kids can write the question, and then that will start the conversation. and And then a student will say, "Oh, I read somewhere that read somewhere that," and that's that's sort of the uh, that's how it usually goes. The conversation started. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Tanya, how about in your experience? You know, I've I've taught sex ed at many different levels: elementary school, high schools, CJEPs, universities, and. It's always the same. I mean, the questions are, are different, obviously, and they're relevant to, you know, the age group that you're dealing with. But there's always someone who's like, I saw something. Is that normal? I read something. Is that normal? Um, I don't know what this is, but I was too afraid to ask my friends or my, or my peers because I didn't want to look stupid. Can you answer me? So having like a point person who's there to validate that, having sex ed in schools, maybe having a trusted teacher, going to a magazine that you regularly read and seeing something that's based in science is really useful for those people. You're listening to Passion. We're on every weeknight from 10 to 11 p.m. talking love, sex, and relationships. Tonight, we have our panel of experts discussing teen sexuality. We promised a conversation about the double standards that teen girls face when it comes to dress codes in high school. I promise you we're going to have that conversation coming up. Straight talk that's all-inclusive. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Sitting in tonight is Paris Mansouri. Welcome back to the program. It's Teen Talk tonight. We have Sean Jarvis in studio with us. He's a high school science teacher here in Montreal. He's been teaching for 15 years, and for that entire duration, he's also been involved in teaching sexual education to teens. We've got Tanya Damour. She's a sexual health educator and vice president of the Sexual Health Network of Quebec. And uh, Sean brought up an interesting topic. We were talking about something else completely, and during the commercial, he mentioned that there was perhaps a bias um, against teen girls where uniforms are concerned. And I was curious to get his perspective. So can you share that with us? Absolutely. But uh, first, a disclaimer. Do I personally believe there's a bias? I don't know. Having said that, um, from the point of view of high school female students, there is they see that there is a bias. And not only based on that, but on other instances that I've seen and witnessed throughout my career, I would lean towards saying that there is a bias towards towards dress codes. My personal opinion, and this may get me into trouble, uh, is that you either have a, a very 
set uniform policy, school uniforms. Now, it doesn't have to be a jacket and tie. Uh, it can be that, but it could be something as simple as like uh, pants, like dockers and some sort of a polo shirt. The other alternative to that is don't have a dress code at all. Now, I'm sure people out there are saying, well, people, uh, kids need to understand what is appropriate attire to a to a specific place, like a workplace. I get that. I understand that. But personally, um, the way that we have it set up in schools is it's not working. What do you think, Tanya? Um, I, I Well, we talked about it a bit on the break, and I think one of the points you brought up was like, we asked you like, well, what do you mean? What What are the kids saying is unfair? Like what, how is it biased? And then I remembered when I had a uniform and it is true before they implemented the uniform at our school, we had just a dress code and it was, you know, no spaghetti straps for girls. Uh, your skirt had to be a certain length. If you're wearing a skirt, if you had shorts, they had to be a certain length, but all of these rules only applied really to the clothing that girls would wear. It didn't apply to the clothing that men would wear. So you'd see guys often um, coming out of gym class with like little, you know, tank top things um, that arguably would show the same amount of skin as a girl's tank top. Um, They would have sometimes, you know, shorts on, basketball shorts that if a girl were to wear that, it wouldn't be okay. So I kind of see where you're going with this like double standard. But then to the other extreme, I also have seen a lot of people wear very inappropriate things. So I think like it's more about like setting those boundaries and telling people what's okay, but applying that to both the boys and the girls, like not just, you know, sending the girls home to change, whereas like a guy might be dressed and showing his arms. I totally disagree in the whole, like we're distracting people with our arms thing anyways, but that's well, a different Well, that's topic. exactly it. One of the arguments that I've heard for a dress code is that is it, it, it distracts the boys. I mean, then you're operating under the assumption that not only boys get distracted easily, but they can't control themselves and they're expected not to c- control themselves. First and it's of all, the woman, the girl who's going to be responsible. Exactly. And secondly, not every boy is heterosexual. So by using that logic, are you saying then that it's okay for the boys to dress that way? Well, who's to say that a boy who happens to be gay uh, in that classroom is not distracted by then? So it's a bit, the lo- I don't understand the logic. And what about, uh, you know, in the conversation we're having, mentioning that sometimes, you know, when you're in between classes, you kind of like change really quick. Oh, yes. Yes. I've seen it numerous times where boys will get changed in the hallway for whatever reason. And uh, some staff members, myself included, will call them out on it and go say change in the classroom. But can you imagine the... the, the, the feedback or the uh, the blowback if girls started getting changed in the hallways mm-hmm. it's it's the way that we approach you know sexuality teen sexuality nudity in general it's like there's always going to be a double standard because that's how our society is set up we tell girls you know this is private you change in private you do this but for guys it's like oh you know there's like this like sports culture this jock culture this masculinity thing where it's okay and when I was in high school, no one, no teachers stopped those boys from changing in, in the gym altogether while everyone was around or in the hallways. But there weren't any girls doing that. And there's a reason for that. You know, we're, we're taught at a very young age that that's private. Girls shouldn't do that. So that's, I think that's reflected in the school system. And, it, and it's, it's not only in dress codes as well, but it's, it's, I mean, you see it in the way you talk to students. I mean, we encourage boys to be aggressive, right? But if you happen to coach a, a sports team, a, a girl's sports team, 
I was told this the other day. Don't use the word aggressive because girls who are aggressive are thought of as bitches, right? Interesting. Yes. So this person said, Sean, why don't you use the word? Why don't you use the word instead of aggressive? Use the word assertive. And that makes a difference. I I don't know, but that's the word I use now because I've had uh, female colleagues as well tell me that. I mean, again, this is based on what they've told me that if a, if a girl or a woman is considered aggressive, then they're automatically labeled as a bitch. Did you call your coworker out on the double standard there, or <laughs> what was that discussion like? Uh, it was uh, it was well. I just listened. To be perfectly honest with you, I mean, again, do do is that actually the case? I don't know. This is just me going on based on what I was told. Yeah, I try. I mean, it happens a lot in our everyday lives, but I think those are the types of things that we have to challenge, especially as people who are in this field and work with teenagers. Absolutely. You really have to challenge those assumptions. Like, why is it one behavior okay for one gender and not for another gender? Yeah. Why would some words be okay to use with some people and not with other people and why would some in even in the when we talk about clothing why is some clothing options okay for one gender and not for another gender and when you start really thinking about those things and breaking it down you kind of see where that bias is and where that double standard is it's an ongoing conversation that can't end and also unless the government and the province catch up to the needs it's a conversation teachers are going to be calling each other out on. Well, and not only that, but we have to be very careful in terms of what language we use. Like instead of saying boyfriend, girlfriend, we have to use gender neutral pronouns. Uh, we have to be comfortable with the idea of having a student who may not be want to be called uh, a boy or a girl or for that matter. The conversation continues. Thankfully, we have... January and you'll be able to continue it then. Thank you to my Teen Talk panel. Sean Jarvis, a high school science teacher in Montreal, comes in every month for us. He's been involved in teaching sexual education since the beginning of his career and once a month we get the privilege of your company. Thank you so much for tuning in, uh, for, for coming in. <laughs> and we've got Tanya Damol, sexual health educator, vice president of the sexual, uh, the sexual network, uh, the sexual health network of Quebec. You can connect with her on uh, info at shnq.ca. That's it for us. Thank you so much to our listeners and to our texters for tuning in. Thank you to David Simon for getting this show to air. Uh, you've been listening to Passion. We're on back. Uh, we're back on tomorrow night with Dr. Jason Behrman. It's sex and technology. You can connect with me at Paris Mansuri on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks again for tuning in. It's time for the news. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to fill your life with passion.